Good evening, everyone. It's time for the last history episode of this season, although honestly, it's barely even history. I was actually alive for most of the events in this episode, which is extremely rare on this show. It's also why this episode is a little on the shorter side, but regardless, we're going to talk about robotic surgery. Now, robots have been around for a decent while, starting to see some use first in factories as early as 1962, when General Motors used a robot for metal casting. But as with many broader technologies, we're often a little more hesitant to introduce it to high-risk medical situations. Depending on your definition of robotic surgery, the first one ever varies, but we can start with four scientists, Kuo, Ho, Jonghir, and Hayati, who were working in California in 1988. They used an early robotic system to take brain biopsies with greater accuracy, using the first example of what is known as an active system. The robot mostly works autonomously to do very specific tasks, like in this case safely removing a section of tissue. Other teams around the world use the same robot to take biopsies as well, although in other parts of the body, like from the prostate. This robot in particular would come to be known as the Probot, but poor Probot was not much of a pro, because it never caught on broadly. A similar active system, known as the RoboDoc system, was the first active surgical robot to get FDA approval, and was targeted instead at improving hip replacement surgery. The first procedures were undertaken in Europe in 1992. A few other systems would be made, but again, these active systems were designed to do very specific tasks, mostly without continuous surgical input, and such machines, at least for now, can only do so much. It was time to broaden robotic capabilities a bit. The US military, at this point, realized the potential of robotic surgical systems, and also realized that linking surgeons far from the battlefield to their patients via a surgical robot might make for much better outcomes for wounded soldiers. NASA also took an interest for similar reasons. Both soldiers and astronauts are pretty hard to get to sometimes, and so remote surgery is a nice option to have. As is pretty standard, the US military and NASA threw a whole bunch of money at the problem, and many researchers went on to develop their ideas commercially. Two big efforts came out from all of that funding. One was to start a system that let surgeons voice control a laparoscopic camera, and would eventually evolve into the Zeus operating system. If you know your surgical robots, that name should be a big deal. Its primary competitor was bulkier, but cheaper, and used infrared signals from a headset worn by the surgeon. With some more work, that system would eventually become known as the Da Vinci system, also a pretty big name in robotic surgery. We call these master-slave systems, since they basically do exactly what the surgeon tells them to do, and aren't really automated much. These two rivals, Zeus and Da Vinci, would essentially dominate robotic surgery for the next decade, trading world firsts and really extending the possibilities of minimally invasive surgeries. Both essentially allowed the surgeon to see into the patient and to manipulate surgical tools remotely, but there were some key differences. Zeus had three arms, one with the voice-activated camera, and two with tools. I certainly don't remember that from the Greek mythology, but whatever. Da Vinci, in contrast, had three or four arms, but also had significantly more ways to rotate the tools, better mimicking the wrist movements of a surgeon. It was to be a critical difference, and Da Vinci would eventually win out. But in the meantime, there were a great many firsts. 
The Da Vinci drew first blood, completing a cholecystectomy in Belgium 1997. Zeus had its first procedure the next year in 1998. Both systems were used in groundbreaking procedures in the years to come, including complicated heart surgeries like cardiac bypasses, which now no longer required opening the chest at all. These new robotic systems let surgeons perform laparoscopic surgeries better than ever before by reducing the size of incision and also reducing the inherent tremors to human movement. Robots, as it turns out, are a lot better at tiny, precise movements than we are, which comes in handy for surgery. However, at this point, procedures were only done locally, by which I mean the patient and surgeon were still in relatively close proximity, even if the surgeon wasn't physically holding the tools. With the advent of the internet, and generally long-range transmission of lots of data, truly remote surgery became possible. In 2001, French professor Jacques Marescot was operating a Zeus system in New York, but conducting his surgery on a patient all the way in Strasbourg, France, some 4,000 miles away. They called it Operation Lindbergh, named for the first pilot to fly across the Atlantic. The cholecystectomy went well, and another medical frontier was conquered. Da Vinci and Zeus would continue to duke it out until 2003, with the company behind Zeus even suing Da Vinci's makers several times for patent infringement. This all came to an end when the two companies behind the systems actually merged. Since then, all development has been focused on the Da Vinci platform, which has stood essentially uncontested for years and years. Since then, over 5,000 Da Vinci units have been sold worldwide, and until literally the last few years, with this episode recorded in March 2020, we have finally seen some significant competition to Da Vinci crop up. New companies are targeting more specific operational needs, like extra precision for working with eyes. They're also beginning to integrate new, cutting-edge technology. Older systems did not have any tactile feedback, for example, which one startup is integrating into their new system so surgeons can to some extent feel what they're working with. There's also now surgical systems in the works that integrate virtual reality or augmented reality. Think Pokemon Go, but for surgery. And instead of seeing Pokemon, you might highlight points of interest or targets for surgeons. I've also read about AI and machine learning, relevant to my field of study, being used in newer surgical robots. For example, one study described a new surgical system that would automatically prevent unintentional collisions, which sounds pretty useful. As things stand right now, these robots are designed as tools for surgeons to improve their operations, and they have made a huge impact. But the future may hold even more developments, and we may eventually see a return to active systems of the past, just way, way more advanced. I read of some current prototypes that can actually suture automatically without much surgeon input. Someday, it may just be possible for robots to conduct entire surgeries. As always, thanks to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for cover art, and Muse Open for our music. This week, I have a little extra ask of you, my dear listener, besides just the usual rating or review. Next episode will be my last planned episode of this season, talking about the future of surgery broadly. As a result, I'm beginning research for my next season, and I've got a few ideas for topics, but I'm not set yet. So if any of you have a good idea, feel free to contact me with the links in the show notes. Just keep in mind they've got to be pretty broad, so I can dedicate an entire season to it.